0: I invite you to turn to the book of Luke. We are in chapter 2. We're going to be starting with verse 21. And you may have thought, well, I thought we were just doing the book of Luke for Christmas. Doing up to there, and we got Jesus born, and now on to something else. Oh, no. We are staying in the book of Luke here. This This is the plan that we're going to be going through the book of Luke for quite a while, I hope, God willing, that we will uh, be able to teach and preach through the entire book of Luke. That's going to take a while. It's a long book, so we may not do it all in one chunk. We may do it in uh, two or three blocks and have some other material in between there, but I plan to stay in the book of Luke for a while. So I hope that uh, you'll able to settle into that, enjoy that. And remember, this is a divinely inspired presentation of our Lord. Jesus Christ, the one that we are called to see and to savor and to love and to long for. So as we look at Scripture, we're looking primarily to see Jesus Christ and have our hearts and lives transformed by looking at him. I know it is New Year's Day today, and perhaps some of you made New Year's resolutions like we tend to do, and those can be good things, and some of those last, and some of those... You know, hopefully it's, you've made it to uh, 11 o'clock with your New Year's resolutions. But oftentimes we make New Year's resolutions about something we want to do or something we want to accomplish. But I think sometimes the even more important thing is not just what we do, but what do we love? And what are we going to decide to love, to long for this year? And this passage will speak to us in that area. It's a great thing about going through uh, scripture like this. We're going to hit parts that we're more familiar with, parts that we're less familiar with, and all of it is God's inspired truth for us. So we're going to be reading. Uh, we'll read this in sections. Uh, Luke chapter two. We'll start with verse twenty-one, and basically here we're going to have we're going to see some of these. Um, what happens shortly after Jesus is born, some of the Hebrew rituals that are, were given that they're going to fulfill, and then part of that is they are going to make a journey to the temple, and they're going to meet two special people at the temple, and we're going to be seeing them in a little bit. So the first point here that we look at, we're going to see that his parents, Jesus' parents, uh, brought Jesus to the temple in faithful obedience to God's law. So let's read here, sorry, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, let's stop and let's look at this section here. Because what we see is there are three Hebrew ceremonies that are packed into these verses uh, that uh, his parents fulfill. And of course, when we talk about Joseph and Mary as his parents, they're both his legal parents, Joseph was not his biological father because of the virgin birth, uh, but legally he was his father, and they're fulfilling the, the duties that they would do as faithful Israelites. And the first of these was uh, the right of circumcision. And so circumcision was a sign of the covenant, it was given by God to Abraham, Genesis 17 you want to jot that down, you can take a look at that uh, sometime. And this was, not to go into graphic detail, but it was the uh, surgery uh, that's done on the eighth day for the male children of Israel by which uh, the, their foreskin is surgically removed. And it symbolizes the, the cutting away of sin and of holiness, make, setting them apart to the Lord and including them in God's covenant people of Israel. At this time also is when they officially gave Jesus' name. They would do this at the time of uh, circumcision. And it says that his name was called Jesus. And it informs us here that this was the name, that the parents didn't pick the name here. A lot of times it can be significant when parents pick the name, but this was one that was picked by the Lord, communicated to them by the uh, angel Gabriel that appeared to them. And they were told to name uh, the child Jesus. Jesus, and in Matthew one twenty one explains that a little more. It says, uh, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That his name related to what he was sent here on earth to do, to save his people from their sins. And that's what the name Jesus literally means. It means the Lord saves. Now one thing you might find interesting, we say Jesus, that's how we pronounce it, And if we were reading this in the Greek New Testament or in Hebrew, uh, it would be pronounced a little bit differently. And in the the Greek New Testament, because you ever notice how names in different languages, they change forms a little bit. So we tend to say Jesus, uh, which comes more from the Latin, but in Greek it was uh, basically Jesus. And the Hebrew way that you would say this was basically Yeshua. Say that with me, Yeshua. And it was basically the name Joshua, or form of that, So, which was a fairly common name, but it was specifically given because of its meaning, that it means the Lord saves. And that would be Jesus' mission, why he was put here on earth to do, or to, to live and to die, to save us from our sins. And one thing also that's kind of interesting to note, that circumcision was to be done on the eighth day. So if you think about this, in a sense, we're kind of doing the book of Luke in real time right now. Because, let's say, if Jesus was born on what we celebrate as Christmas, and the Bible doesn't actually tell us the actual date he was born, but we celebrate it on Christmas Day, on December 25. So right now, it's New Year's Day, and if you count the days, Christmas being day one, we are on day eight. So this would be, if we were doing the book of Luke in uh, real time, This would be the day that he was circumcised and that he um, received officially his name. Now, maybe if we kept on doing, you know, the book of Luke in real time, uh, kind of like watching 24 events occur in real time, uh, we'd have to, at this point, we'd have to dismiss everyone, okay, and take a break, and in 33 days, we would get together again for the next verses, okay, because... The second uh, ritual that takes place after circumcision was purification. And purification would happen 40 days after a male child was born. So and the, after seven days, on the eighth day is when circumcision took place. But then in Leviticus 12, it talks about this purification ritual that they were commanded to undergo. And this happened for males another 33 days later that the mother, um, for 33 days even after the initial week, uh, was still continuing in her purification. During this time, scripture says, for a Hebrew woman, uh, she was not to touch anything holy or come into the temple. And so she had to wait. For a male child, it was a total of 40 days. Um, It specifies that for a female child, uh, the purification was twice as long. So two weeks and then um, 66 days. But then after this time period, they were to bring the child to the priest uh, for a sin offering uh, for for purification. And and it says in Leviticus 12.7 to bring this offering to the priest and then the priest would offer the offering to the Lord on her behalf to make atonement. And it specifies that the offering was to be a year-old lamb, but if they could not afford a lamb, there could be uh, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. It does not say that second part. Let's see if you're paying attention. But it is the two turtle doves, at least. There's something scriptural about them. They could be two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so we can tell by this that Jesus' family, he was, he was not from a wealthy family, and Hebrew scholars tell us that probably most families did the, the, the poorer offering. There weren't many that could afford a, a lamb to do, but uh, they gave these uh, the birds as, as an offering. And it's just another reminder to us that we would expect that if the Son of God were to come down, well, we wouldn't expect that to begin with, but if he were... He would certainly end up in the palace of royalty or uh, being born of the the, the royal uh, princess or the royal queen or something of that. But this was to uh, two peasants. And it's interesting to think that these two pigeons or turtle doves were given in the place of a lamb for the purification of the baby who would be the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So that's the second ritual, a purification. And now also in here, there is uh, what is referred to as presentation. It says they presented Jesus Christ before the Lord. And sometimes this can be referred to as consecration or dedication. And this uh, this talks about this in Exodus 13. And in Exodus 13, God commands that the firstborn males of all living things... So not just uh, people, but also animals. Every living thing among the Hebrews belongs to the Lord, both man and animal. In Exodus thirteen one through 2 the Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then there's some further explanation given of this. I mean, it talks about that even this is, you had to do this if you had a donkey, and your first uh, uh, donkey is born, that you had to give a lamb to uh, redeem this donkey if you wanted to keep it. said, so otherwise, this donkey belongs to the Lord. If you're not going to do this, it actually says, it's kind of violent, image, violent words, but it says you need to break its neck if you don't do this. You don't get to keep the donkey unless you redeem it, unless you do something to, to buy it back so you can use it and have it be yours for service. In Exodus 13, it says, You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. For every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And then it explains why this is the case. And remember, they had had just come out of slavery uh, in Egypt, and they'd experienced the Passover. And the last plague of the Passover was when the, the angel came and struck down the firstborn of every creature. And those that were spared were the ones that applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their house, and they were spared. And so there's a sense where the Lord is saying, I've spared them, and, and they belong to me. And so they need to be redeemed. You, you will be able to keep them, except for the Levites. They were to enter temple service but they need to be redeemed. It goes on to say, and when, in time, and when in time to come, your sons ask you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from a house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the males and the firstborn of the animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb and all the firstborn of, of my sons I redeem. In Numbers 18, it says that only of the families of the Levites were required to give their sons for priestly service, and the other tribes were required to give a redemption price of five shekels uh, for their firstborn sons. So they redeemed them, and the word redeemed it does it means basically has the idea of to buy back, so that you were able to receive something uh, back to you. So, in a sense, they belong to the Lord, and by giving this redemption price, they were able to still keep their sons, raise their sons, but recognizing that they ultimately belong to God. Now, when we practice uh, baby dedication, that's not exactly the same thing that we're doing. It's not a one-for-one correspondence here, but I think there's some of the same principle involved, that we recognize that our children are a gift from God, and that they're entrusted to us, but that we are, we're stewards of these lives that are given to us. And that as stewards, they, they ultimately they belong to God. And we're not raising our children for our own glory, for our own purposes, but to glorify him. And that we all belong to him. And we want to do everything we can for our children to raise them in a way that they know and they love Jesus Christ is their Savior, and they realize that they exist for Him. So here, this redemption price was given. And does it strike you as kind of ironic that the one that would be the Redeemer, the one that would buy us back from, from sin, that Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, here is redeemed. There's a sense where you think, well, why does this? Why does this ever even have to happen? I mean, Jesus Christ is not a normal person. He is. He is the Lord. Shouldn't he not have to undergo these things? Shouldn't there be exceptions for him? I think sometimes we we recognize where there are exceptions to the rules. I know sometimes it it drives my kids uh, crazy. We have certain rules that. They can have, uh, they can only have pop on the weekends, and they can just have one. And sometimes at meals, you know, Dad will choose to still have a, a pop. And say, well, how come Dad gets to have a pop? Well, it's it's good to be Dad. <laughs> when you get to be Mom or Dad, you get to make the rules for your household. We don't make all the rules. We're still under God's rules. We acknowledge that. But hey, there's some things we set the law. Okay, and you kids get to be under it. It's for your good, but mom or dad wants to have a pop. We're going to have a pop. And there's a way you realize that's how it is. And sometimes it drives us um, a little bit, it can be maddening, or sometimes we recognize it shouldn't be that way. How many of you would love it if all politicians had to be under all the rules that they make and all the policies? Yeah, that would be a nice thing but you know sometimes it seems like well you know some people are there above this it doesn't have to apply to them so think of this you have you have Jesus Christ he's not just a normal baby come into this world that when you understand the identity of who he is this is the eternal son of god this is the one that actually with with god the father and the holy spirit created everything he is the creator he is the sustainer of our our beings. He is the, the law giver. All laws and rules are found in him and sourced in him. And there's a sense where we would think he is above this. He shouldn't have to go through this. I mean, why? Circumcision, if that represents a cutting away of sin, he didn't even have sin uh, to, to be cutting away. And so why, why does he need to be redeemed? Why does all this have to happen? And I think there's another verse... That Paul talks about that helps us get a grasp of what's going on here. And this is a very important verse, and this ties in the Christmas time and the incarnation so well. Galatians 4 4 through 5 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, so just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And you see so many things packed into this. See that Christ came at the right time, that he was sent by God the Father, born of a woman. You see hints here of the virgin birth, Paul understanding that. See that he is the one that he will redeem us, he will buy us back. But the phrase I want to, point to here, says born under the law. We have a God that didn't just set the laws and say, well, it's good to be God. I'm not going to, you know, obey them. But he actually submitted himself to his own laws. He actually came under that. And so being born as a Hebrew child, um, in that period, he underwent the normal things that any other uh, righteous uh, Hebrew child would undergo. And so they went through all of this. And there's an important reason for this. Did the law still apply to Jesus? And the answer is is yes. And circumcision made Jesus a part of the covenant community and put him under the Old Testament law. And he did this for our salvation. Part of what it means for Jesus to save. Because part of what he had to do was not just to die for our sin, but he had to fulfill the law in our place. Because none of us keep God's commandments. Whether it's the commandments that apply to the Old Testament period or this period or whatever it is, none of us keep God's law. But Jesus Christ, what he came to do, he was under the law, not for himself, but so that he could keep it in our place. And he's the only one to do that righteously, to do that perfectly. He's the only one to score 100% on this exam of life, which is... uh, He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You either get 100% or you get a failing grade. All of us, wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer on this exam because we fail, we sin all the time in action, in word, in thought, in deed. Things we do, things we don't do. Jesus got it right every single time from a child all the way through life. And that's the beauty of salvation, not only that he takes our sin upon himself when he goes to the cross, but he gives us the gift of his righteousness. In a sense, he switches exams with us and gives us credit for his perfection, his perfect grade. And that's how we can be saved, by his death and by his life, fulfilling the law in our place. And so we see that in these verses. that it also says, God sent forth his Son when the fullness of time had come. The Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, had been predicted for a long, long time in the Old Testament. Prophecies from Isaiah 700 years before. Prophecies from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve. And those that were devout, they were, they were noticing these things and they were looking forward to the Messiah that would come. At least those that were righteous, those that were focused on Scripture. And two of those people that were looking ahead were, were Simeon and Anna. So as we go on, we're going to read about these two righteous saints. Let's start reading in verse 25. We're going to see that Simeon is a righteous man waiting for, it says, the consolation of Israel. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and so that the thoughts from many hearts may re- be revealed. We're going to see Simeon and we're going to see Anna here in a second, and both of uh, these individuals have a few things in common. Both were were aged up there in years. It specifically says that for Anna, we infer that from Simeon. Both were very devoted to God. Both were prophets, and both were filled with expectancy. They were expecting, looking forward to the Messiah. They were waiting for him. It was the one thing that they wanted to see. Their hearts were set upon him. So we see Simeon here, and he's given a special word from God. I mean, we don't know when our time is, but he knew that he would not leave uh, this earth before the one thing that was on his bucket list was that he was going to be able to see the Messiah. You know, we have things on our list that we would like to do before God takes us, and we don't get to do all those. But he knew that he would not be leaving until the Messiah came. He had special revelation about that. And it says that he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. To console someone is to comfort them. When they're going through difficulty, when they're going through a rough time, times of sorrow and anguish. And Israel was under oppression. There was uh, political, there was spiritual uh, pain and anguish that they were feeling. And the Messiah would come and he would give consolation. He would give comfort to them. And Jesus Christ... Can be referred to as, as the counselor, as the, the, the comforter. Now, some of you might remember that Jesus Christ refers to the Holy Spirit as the, the counselor or the, the comforter, the helper. The word paraclete there can be translated in many different ways. Maybe you think, well, that, that refers to the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. But remember what Jesus said He said, I will send to you another comforter. So, another means that there was one before. So Jesus was coming, and he would be the consolation of Israel, of the, of the people of God. It says in verse 30 and 31, we can notice here, after Simeon says, he says, now let your servant depart in peace. He's like, I can, I can, I can die happy now. I can, you can let me go to my... My uh, eternal rest, I've, you fulfilled your promise to me. I've, I've seen the Lord. I've held him in my arms. Your word has been fulfilled. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. I want to think about just that phrase your salvation that you have prepared. And just a reminder to us that salvation is not a human accomplishment, it is not something that we do. It is not by our effort, by our will. This is something that God does and that he gives to us. Salvation is a gift by him given to us. And in verse 32, it says that he would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Now, the part, the glory to your people Israel, that probably wouldn't have been uh, quite as uh, big news to them. They would have expected the Messiah to be for the glory of the people of Israel, but the part that would have been new here was that he's also a light to the Gentiles, to those that are not Jewish, a light of revelation that God would deal with. He would give comfort to Israel not just by, not by judging them and by putting them uh, in, in, in bondage, but by giving them the gospel. And this would change the Gentiles. This would change how the righteous even treat God's people Israel. And think of how much that, those words that God prophesied through Simeon have come true. My guess is by far the most people here, you are not of of Hebrew lineage. There might be some of you, and and praise God if that's the case. But we probably come from different nationalities, and uh, there's probably many that we could list even in this room. And this was part of God saying that Jesus Christ was not just going to still be for the Jewish people, but that it would be for all the nations, all the different peoples, people groups of this world. And think of how that has been fulfilled in such a powerful way. Verse thirty four it says you be for the rising the fall and rising of many in Israel. When people encounter Jesus, their lives are changed. One way or the other, things do not say the same. He is either salvation or a stumbling block to people, if they really encounter him for who he is. When people accept him, others, others choke on him and stumble upon Jesus for who he is. Those who accept him are raised to new life. Those that reject him are brought eventually to, to ruin. Jesus would cause conflict. At one point in Matthew 10.34, Jesus would actually say, I do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. That there's a sense that Jesus, in a sense, he causes conflict. Not that he wants to cause conflict for conflict's sake, but it just does because darkness has conflict with the light. Darkness hates the light, and Jesus is the light. And so people are forced to choose to accept and to love him. Or eventually, as it says in verse 35, the, the, the real thoughts of their hearts are revealed that people can be good to everyone around them and be, tend to be very good people. But when it comes to, to Christ, when it comes to, to God himself, they may love and accept everyone else, but they, but they reject and they have a problem with, with God, the one that matters most, the one that they're put here for. I also notice in verse 35, there are these great words that they have. Think of you know, Mary and Joseph. They're here with their new eight-day-old baby. And he tells them these things, and they're marveling at these things. But Simeon also gives them a word that this would not just involve salvation, but it would also involve suffering. And he says to them, especially to Mary, his mother, "...and a sword will pierce through your own soul also." The word here for sword is is not just a little tiny sword. This is a word that's used for a big, like a broad sword, a big double sided sword. None shall pass. Okay, and this would this would strike her soul. It's a tough thing to see your children be hurt. And this past week, um, at at our house, Joel, our five year old, I was at work and I got a text that Joel had. Had fallen and he uh, he just tripped on something in the living room and he hit his hit his mouth on the coffee table and knocked out a tooth. The whole thing came out like the root and everything. Now, I know he's five, so eventually you know it's a baby tooth that's coming out eventually, but it wasn't supposed to be coming out for a while. Uh, so um, you know even something like that, okay, it's a it's a baby tooth and all this, but. Uh, you know i come home from from church and he's on the couch and he's you know cuddled in there and uh looking you know pretty miserable but hanging in there he's got his mouth stuffed full of uh paper towel and uh trying to you know soak up things and you know you're just your heart and you've had things where your kids have gotten hurt and it it pierces you what about when you hear your kids are having a tough time at school maybe things are there, there's some rejection they're not People are making fun of him, something like that. Wow. Think of what Mary would experience one day from her son. That her son would be spat upon, rejected by everyone that, that pretended to be his that called himself friends and followers. That they would most of all of them would turn their back on him. That the whole people, the whole nation, literally the whole nation would gang up on him to have him, to have him beaten, to have him accused to Make him this the this, this scapegoat for uh, just everyone's problems. That he would be whipped. That he would be beaten. That he would be he would be nailed to a cross. Hang up there in shame and suffering for us. Jesus came to save, and that's how he would come to save. And Simeon's telling Mary, "This is going to be a this is going to be a sword through your heart," also. But that's what Jesus came to do. He literally was born to live and to die for our sin. It also mentions Anna here. Finish reading. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna here was a faithful woman waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And we see a few things. It says that she was a prophetess. Um... It wasn't an extremely common thing to have a a prophetess, but she was one. We don't have a record of exactly what she said or of any prophecies like we do of Simeon. But obviously she recognized, she was another witness, like Simeon was, that this was the Messiah. The one that they had been waiting for all these years had finally come into this world. And people knew Simeon, they knew Anna. And so this was a, a beginning sign of authentication, that Jesus Christ, this is the Messiah to come. She recognized Jesus as the one they've been waiting to redeem Jerusalem. That's a way of saying to redeem God's, God's people. We see that she was, she was elderly. She was advanced in years. So she had been married probably, as most uh, Hebrew girls did, probably in her early teens. She had lived with her husband for just seven years. He had passed, and since then she had devoted herself to the Lord, either for 84 years or until she was 84, depends how you translate that. So she spent many, many decades just with a single focus, dedication to God. And it says she did not depart from the temple. Now she may have gone home to sleep, uh, but at the very least, it means that every waking hour, she was there. And she was there worshiping and fasting and in prayer, um, Constantly, we see a few things about her life and what she was about. It was about waiting for the Messiah, looking forward to him, being consumed, longing for him. Her life was about worship. That she, it says that coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks. And her life was about witness and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That she did not keep this to herself. She was telling people that he is here. He is here at last. The Redeemer has come. Let me just finish by giving us this application. You have here, you have Simeon and you have Anna. And they sometimes they function as kind of these, these watchmen. That they were living at the end of the Old Testament period, waiting for the Messiah who was promised for... Uh, millennium for centuries for, for their long lives and well before that and they were watching and waiting to see would he come? When would he come? And they finally they finally see he is here now. Their hearts are filled with joy. Are you and I are we watchmen for Christ. Christ came a first time and he will come again. I mean, Simeon, Anna, they took prophecy seriously. They took it seriously that the, the Messiah would come. And we've been told after Jesus departed, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. In Matthew twenty-five thirteen, it says, Watch therefore, <clears throat> for you know neither the day nor the hour. None of us have been promised that he's going to come back during our lifetime. We hope so. We pray so. But we're supposed to keep watching regardless every single day. 2017 could be the year. If it is, if it isn't, we're called to be watching and longing and waiting for his appearance. So what are you looking for? What are you waiting for the most? I mean, there were people this past year that they received their lifelong thing, that they were waiting their whole life for the Cubs to win the World Series. And they finally did. And some people were around at the end of their life to see that. And wow, they saw that, but so what? What really changes? They had a a celebration, but the world does not change by that happening. Are we going to wait for that? You could spend your life waiting for, perhaps this year Detroit will win the Super Bowl. But what are we looking for? What really matters? Think about this. What you love, you look for. And what you look for, you love. I mean, sometimes that's, you you know what you love because you're waiting for that package to come in the mail from Amazon. Amazon. Because you have that order of that thing that you want. And you're looking forward to this and you're excited. Or for that movie to come out or for uh, the, the next break to come for, for students. All these different things. What you look for, you love. And what you love, you look for. And let us be people that are watchers, that long for the return of Christ, that long for him to be with him one way or another. And for as many years as God has you on this earth, may you, may we all persevere in watching and waiting for Jesus Christ for our salvation. The ones that our hearts need to be oriented to. Paul at the end of his life said, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Some translations say all who have longed for His appearing. Christians, do we love Jesus? Do we long to see Him? And if we wait here for Him to come, will we look to Him and will we cultivate our hearts that we long for Him more? Because that's what we were created to do. And that's the heart of what worship is. And let me tell you this, just as Simeon, when he knew that he had received Jesus into his arms, he could depart in peace. Once you have received Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, when you have put your trust and faith in him, you can know that if it is your time to leave, you can depart in peace, knowing that you have received he who came to redeem you from your sin. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you for the salvation that you have given to us. We praise you that salvation is not a human accomplishment, but something that you did for us, that you gave, sending your son into this world to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law in our place, and to die a terrible death on our behalf to redeem us, to buy us back from sin, from slavery, from Bring us out of the wrath that we deserve, Lord God, into your kingdom, adoption as your sons, Lord God. Thank you for that gift through Jesus Christ. May you give us hearts that love him, that long for him. And Lord God, I pray for anyone here that has not received Jesus Christ into their heart, that they would take him now, that they would receive him the only one that can give them redemption and forgiveness. We give you praise. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.